The scripture reading is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Good morning. Please join me in reading the prayer confession that's printed in the bulletin. Our Father, forgive us for thinking small thoughts of you and for ignoring your immensity and greatness. Lord Jesus, forgive us when we forget that you rule the nations and our lives. Holy Spirit, we offend you in minimizing your power and squandering your gifts. We confess that our blindness to your glory, O triune God, has resulted in shallow confession, tepid conviction, and only mild repentance. Have mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Lift up and hear the assurance of the pardon of your sin. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we marvel at your lavish gifts to us. Life and breath, food and shelter, opportunities for work and for play, and most especially, hope and peace in Christ Jesus our Lord. We now pledge ourselves to mirror and reflect the glory of your self-giving love to continue in the pattern of generosity we have perfectly received in Christ. Receive these gifts and these offerings of our lives. May this continue to be a time of worship as we rejoice together in the gifts that we have given. As Jesus was lifted up from earth, draw us to you, your only begotten Son, through the life-giving Spirit. In the midst of this fallen world, bring forth your kingdom, that all creation may be brought forth from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light, and from death to life. In Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Luke's Gospel, the 13th chapter, and seemingly a very random four verses. But Luke's Gospel is very unique. No gospel encompasses such a complete range of subgenres as Luke. Yet, what all biblical theologians 
will agree on is that the theme of Luke's gospel is Jesus' proclamation of the coming of the kingdom of God. Luke uses the word kingdom 53 times in Luke and Acts, 45 times in the gospel alone. 32 of these times, the word kingdom is in the phrase kingdom of God. Here, in Luke 13, he uses it four times. And in our passage today, he uses it twice. What are we looking for today? We are asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us that we may see and hear and understand Jesus' own interpretation of the kingdom of God. For he tells us what the kingdom of God is like. It is like a mustard seed, and it is like leaven and bread. But before we begin, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we lift up John Sartell. Lord, in his strength, may he rely upon your strength. In his wisdom, may he rest upon the wisdom of your spirit living inside of him. We thank you for the Sartell family, the impact that they have had on this church. Be with him in the coming weeks. Protect him from the evil one. Give him passion and wisdom to lead this church as you have called him to do. Lord, we pray for Priscilla Turner, Jim Bennington, Billy Griggs, and anyone else who is hurting in this church from physical or spiritual ailments. Lord, this morning we specifically pray for the church, for the children of this church, your covenant children. May the word of God be planted deep within them. May we all in this church honor our vows as members and help raise every child that comes here in the knowledge and the grace of the gospel of Jesus. May we instill in them a vision for your church that seeks to serve others with humility and love that can only be known through Christ. We pray for our upcoming small groups this fall, for Faith Weaver friends, for the Forge, for the small groups that will be meeting all over Fayette County. May you bless our time in your word. May those times be a time of fellowship and laughter and joy. May we seek to reach those who do not have a church or who are unchurched. May we invite them to those times, to our groups, so that they can see the glory of the great God whom we serve. Father, may we be sound in our doctrine, sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Lord, we pray for our schools, public, private, and homeschoolers, for our students who are returning this week, instill in them the calling that you have called them to, to be good students, 
to understand that when they study sciences and mathematics and languages and history and art and drama, that they are studying things that you have created. That each of these subjects represent a creative and a magnificent God. Lord, give them courage as they begin this new year. For those beginning at new schools and for those returning for yet another year, we pray for them for spiritual and physical protection. May they cast their anxieties, both socially and from their education, upon Jesus. We pray for their teachers. Give them patience. Bless them. Encourage them. May they have a vision to love and admonish, yet while being kind. We pray for the parents of these families and students. May we guide them and nurture them and always remind them of the hope that they have in the gospel. May we remind them that we do not love them by how they perform, but we love them because they are our children and that we care how they perform because we love them. We love them. Lord, we pray for the state of Tennessee. We pray for our recent primary elections. Lord, give us wisdom as your people to bring light into darkness. We pray for those who are in office now and those who will be in office in the future. May we use a biblical wisdom, fervent prayer, fasting, and Christian ethics as we engage the world around us. May we be known by our love for our enemies, how we serve those who are different from us. May we seek and save the lost that we have learned from Christ. May we protect the widows and the orphans, those who have no voice, those who have no power, those who struggle to meet daily needs. May your church represent our King and serve them. Lord, we pray for our military. And specifically, we pray for the Presbyterian Reformed Commission of Chaplains. We pray for those chaplains that they may preach the word to those serving in the military, that you will give them the tools they need to give gospel hope to men and women as they serve their country. Protect all of them, physically and spiritually. Give them good resources so that they will be able to return to their homes and their families. We pray for those who struggle when they return. Lord, may the church surround them with love and empower them with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for the work being done in northwest Mexico as our own denomination tries to help plant 10 churches in the next 10 years. May these churches be beachheads in a place that is unchurched. May they plant more churches and cast a vision of the kingdom of heaven. May they be a light into the nations. And may we 
give our children a vision for going out to the nations. May your church bring healing and reconciliation to places in the world that have none. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. As we come to this morning's text, and you look at today's sermon, you might be thinking, holy smokes, does this guy talk about anything but the kingdom of God? If you remember, I first preached about the kingdom of God back in Luke 6. Do you remember that one? It was the one that I preached on the eschatological power of Christ and its reference to the kingdom of God. You all stared at me like I had told a story about running over kittens. There was fear and confusion, gnashing of teeth, frustration. Eyes were rolled, hands were thrown in the air figuratively. We wouldn't do that at Presbyterian Church. Heads were scratched. Even after the sermon, I told John, I preached on the eschatological power of Christ. And he looked at me. He said, did you explain it? I said, I did. I had to. There were people from UT there. It was the first sermon I preached that focused on God's vision of the kingdom. I went back and I looked. I had two pages typed out of explaining what the eschatological power of Christ had to do with God's kingdom. For those of you who weren't there, and those of you who were there that didn't understand UT people, a long story short, the eschatological power of Christ is the power of Christ working through his Holy Spirit where he is currently making all things new. In Luke 6, Jesus was healing people with diseases. He was casting out demons. And what we saw in that text is Jesus does not destroy his creation. He restores it. Jesus not, does not disregard our bodies. He heals them. He puts them back into the state in which he first created them, as we see in Genesis 1, where we were very good. And then we saw something very interesting. Jesus actually gave this power to his apostles, the misfits, even to the one who would later betray him. Then the next time I preached was on Luke 9, and you guessed it, I preached on the kingdom of God. Here's where we see Jesus actually sending out the 12. They had a dry run, and we saw that Christ in his humility gave his power to those who follow him and how we applied that text from then for those people to us today, his current audience, is that if we follow the teaching of the apostles, we too receive the power of God. We become kingdom agents, bringing forth the kingdom of God. He gives us his power that through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, we might point people back to Jesus. We become kingdom workers. 
eschatological agents of Jesus Christ. Meaning that through the power of the Spirit, we bring forth Christ's supreme reign now, which he will bring into in completion at the eschaton, at the end of time, when Christ returns and establishes his eternal glory forever. My next sermon was on the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come as it will be in heaven. I, John and I aren't smart enough to plan this. And today we are following along this course. And if this motif conti continues, I'll be preaching a lot in Luke 17, 18, and 19. Why do I make such a big deal about this? Why is it such a big deal about what I've preached in the past? Why have I made such a big deal about the kingdom of God? Because Jesus made a big deal about the kingdom of God. In Luke 4:43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. Forgive me if my preaching becomes mundane. But an eschatological view of Christ's spirit working through us, God's people, to restore his creation, the view of the kingdom will change your life forever. This view of the kingdom will change our church forever. If we view ourselves as Christ's body, as kingdom agents, being led by Christ with the power of his spirit that raised him from the dead, that resides in us, that is eradicating our sin and destroying death by preaching the gospel of the kingdom, every aspect of our lives will be changed. Our families will be changed. Our friendships will be changed. Our community here will be changed by the power of the Spirit. If you do not understand what Jesus is doing when he preaches the kingdom, what he's doing through his miracles, and what he's preparing us for, we will miss the mission to redeem the world. For Christ came to seek and save the lost. But he did not just seek us and save us from something, but he saved us to something, to bring forth the kingdom. He has redeemed us through his spirit. Why is it important? Because Jesus said it was important. And because Jesus, through his spirit, is working right now. Through the preaching of the word through partaking the sacraments, through acts of service and kindness and love, we have already entered into Christ's reign of his kingdom. The eschaton has already begun. He's bringing the end to the world as we know it. A world full of sin, where fathers are against sons, and mothers are against daughters, and mother-in-laws are against everyone. 
a world full with sexual immorality, sexual abuse, greed and idolatry and drunkenness, drug addictions, sickness, anxiety, depression, suicide, by a world that is bookended by death. Christ is making all things new. He is reigning now. Paul tells us in Colossians 1, I think it's printed in your scripture sheets, he has delivered us from the the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Students, do you hear this? You are a part of God's holy mission to redeem the world. It's not just left to the adults. Husbands, wives, singles, widows, young and old, men and women, you are a part of God's mission to redeem his creation by the transforming power of the Spirit. And God will succeed. Which means we will succeed. Yet, what we see in this text, what Jesus reminds us, is that even though we are kingdom agents, we are not God. We cannot make the kingdom grow. We cannot make the kingdom spread. In this passage, we actually receive words of encouragement from Jesus to his faithful people that he will accomplish his mission through our work. But ultimately, the work is his. And we will see that Christ's kingdom will come from unimportant beginnings through unlikely growth and unrealized transformation. The kingdom will come from unimportant beginnings. The first two weeks of this past summer, uh, I had an internship here with two of our students, Catherine Jeffries and Matthew Boozer. Um, and I called the internship Antioch. I called it Antioch because in Acts we see Antioch is the first place where Jesus' disciples were called Christians. And we had a great time. I had a great time. For two weeks we studied through God's Word. And we studied things in relation to God's Word. Church history, liturgy, spiritual gifts, vocation. We studied theology such as the doctrine of revelation, justification, sanctification, glorification. But what I wanted to point out is the first week, we had a wonderful, biblical, compassionate teacher named Delana Neal come and teach us how to become good readers of the Bible. In this process, we discussed a very important step that we all should do when we read our Bibles. We should interrogate the text. And it means exactly like what it sounds. You look at a passage and you ask questions. Who, what, when, where, why, how? Who wrote this passage? To whom was it written? Where was it written? If it was a letter, to whom was it written? And where were they? Why was this text written? And we even branched out further than that and asked, are there any new characters in this passage that weren't there in the passage before? Because like a great movie, if there's a new character introduced, something is probably about to happen. What kind of genre are we reading? 
What are the emotions being expressed by the author? Are there any repeated words in the passage? How does this text advance God's story of redemption? You see, if we are good readers, we will ask these questions every time. And if we ask those questions of this text, we'll have some answers. Luke wrote this gospel. This is a narrative genre. It's telling us the story of the life and the work of Jesus. But there's something about this text. There's a question that we need to ask that I've taught all of our students. I'm actually interested to see if any student actually sees what is going on in this text. In verse 18, in the first three words, what do we ask? Great. When you come across a therefore, you always ask, what is the therefore there for? You see, because if we ask this question, what is the therefore therefore, we see that this passage actually relates to the passage before it. And next week we'll see that it actually also relates to the passage after it. But for this morning, Jesus isn't bringing us a brand new message. There was something that happened in the passage before it that Jesus desired to teach about the kingdom of God. When we come to verse 18, Jesus makes a connection. What is Jesus teaching? Well, in verse 10 through 17, as John preached last week, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. And he actually heals a woman who has been crippled for 18 years by a spirit. And then a ruler of the synagogue opposes him. And Jesus calls him out. And he puts him to shame. The NIV says it humiliated him. And then John stopped. And at no fault of John, his sermon last week was fantastic. If you weren't here, go back and listen to it. And if you were here, go back and listen to it. But when we come to verse 18, we must understand that Jesus is not starting a new topic. He's not following a rabbit trail. He is continuing the same conversation. There was something about the miracle that he performed and the rebuke that he had given that prompted him to teach about the kingdom of God. Something seemingly unimportant, insignificant and small was happening in this passage. Jesus was ushering in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is showing us and telling us that something greater is about to happen. The kingdom comes from seemingly unimportant beginnings. If you have a Bible, now is the time we're going to write in them. If there's a space in your Bible between verses 17 and 18, draw as many arrows as you can and point to verse 17. Draw arrows and write, this is how Jesus brings forth the kingdom of God through seemingly unimportant ways. What is the therefore? Therefore, this. Jesus heals a woman who is crippled. The woman was disabled for 18 years. She meant nothing to those people 
in the synagogue. The ruler of the synagogue who was mad about Jesus healing her, Jesus didn't mention that, oh, by the way, you had 18 years to heal her yourself and you didn't. But then when she meets Jesus, her king, her life changes forever. Her future is changed forever. In verse 13, it says, he laid his hands on her and immediately she was straight and she glorified God. The kingdom starts small. It begins with Jesus meeting an unnamed woman in an unnamed town. Just like the kingdom began with a seemingly small and an unimportant promise in Genesis 3. As it started with an unimportant man in Genesis 12. As Israel began in a small sliver of land in the Middle East by a shepherd boy. As the kingdom began when a child was conceived out of wedlock in a backwater town near Galilee. This is how the kingdom of God comes. Here in Luke 13, the kingdom continues to begin small. And Jesus has just made her a kingdom agent. He tells his listeners, this may seem small, but something good and grand is coming through. And praise God from whom all blessings flow. This is why we sing. Because we were made new, just like this woman was, when we come to faith in Jesus. And seemingly unimportant Somervillians or Oaklanders or Fayette Countyans or Memphians, he has brought us into the kingdom by the gospel of Jesus Christ to work through us, bringing forth his kingdom. If you believe in Jesus, you are a kingdom agent. If you believe in Jesus, even though this beginning might seem small, God is going to use you to do something great. The kingdom of God comes from unimportant beginnings. And the kingdom of God also comes through unlikely growth. Read with me verses 18 and 19. And he said, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. We see Jesus compare the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. And if you, if you know your Bibles, what will immediately become apparent is that the size of the mustard seed isn't talked about here like it is in Matthew and Mark. Matthew and Mark, it actually says the mustard seed is the smallest seed. Why do you think Luke left that out? Hold on to that thought. A few weeks ago, I received a text message from, from someone wanting to talk to me about the recent trip to RYM. And of course, my first thought was, uh-oh, what happened? And then I realized my Enneagram number wasn't a six. So I thought to myself, well, maybe this is a good news. 
And I received this text, and I've asked permission to use it this morning, and I've removed the names. And this is what the text said. One of the teens on on the latest retreat to Florida is someone near and dear to my heart. For some reason, God has put them on my heart in a special way. That said, I recently texted them and asked how the Florida retreat was. They initially responded with a vague, quote, very interesting, something I asked them to explain further. They respond by saying the way things were run contributed to their actual learning, quote, stuff I hadn't heard about the Bible until I went, end quote. I, asked, I then asked them to tell me something they learned, to which they responded, I learned that scripture is relevant. I would call that a life-changing retreat. I told them never to forget that and to tell others. Fifty students went to RYM this summer. The week's theme was scripture is relevant. But if just one student came home with their eyes opened to the gospel. It was a successful trip. If just one student actually came home believing that scripture really is relevant for them, it was a successful trip. Just one of 50 The parable of the mustard seed is a reminder to us and encourages us that the kingdom of God comes through unlikely growth. Maybe one of 50. The parable also reminds us that the spirit of God is at work. The kingdom is expanding. Yet in verse 19, It isn't just about the growth of the mustard seed. Remember what I just asked you? Why does Luke not mention the size of the mustard seed like Matthew and Mark? Well, it seems that Luke is emphasizing something different. He's actually emphasizing the result rather than the beginning of the seed. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed, the smallest seed growing into the biggest plant in the garden. And then what do we see happens? It is used by something else. The birds of the air. What's the purpose of a fruit tree? To bless something outside of itself. The tree grows for the benefit of another. The growth of the kingdom of God is so that it will bless others. And in Luke's use of the birds of the air, most commentators make mention of the symbolic use of the Old Testament, specifically in Ezekiel, that the birds of the heavens frequently represent the nations of the earth. And that theme seems common in Luke, a Gentile writing to other Gentiles, focusing on how the plan of redemption began with Israel. But from Genesis 12, we see it was always a way for blessing the nations. Just as God proclaimed he would do through Abraham, the kingdom of God is coming to everyone. The second illustration Jesus uses, he explains the kingdom and he compares it to 11 and three measures of bread. Now for us today, three measures of bread might seem pretty insignificant, 
But I like the translation that the NIV gives. It says, And he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. 60 pounds of flour. A little yeast will transform. A little leaven can change a huge amount of dough without us even realizing what's happening. The kingdom of God will come even if it's unrealized by us. The leaven makes the whole loaf leavened. It completely transforms it. There is something fundamentally different about the leaven compared to the seed. The leaven cannot change the dough while it's outside of it. The dough cannot change itself. It must be added. I don't know if any of you know, but youth ministry is really hard. And for many of us, all of us of this church, raising children is really hard. For us, evangelizing to people, whether it be at work, whether it be people that we just meet at the grocery store, is really hard. Students, I hope you're having conversations with your friends, tough conversations. And if there aren't tough conversations, they're not really your friends. But I hope you're having conversations with them about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And what's probably going to be even harder is to have that conversation with someone who says that they are following Christ, but they're not. But ministry, evangelism, raising children, spreading the gospel, being kingdom workers is hard work. Do you know why I think it's hard? Because we don't always see the result of our work. It's hard because we believe that God is doing something, but we don't get to see it right now. We might not ever see the full product of our work. We all work so hard to explain the gospel, trying to convince someone that the truth that Jesus died and resurrected and the implication that has for our lives and the vision that it gives his church, we all want to see that change people. And that's good. We want to see the fruit. But we must not lose heart. Because people are not like apps on iPhones. We don't immediately receive the notification when it's done. It is God who opens the eyes for blind. It is God who heals the sick. It is God who softens their hearts. It is God who makes the seed grow. It is God who implants the leaven in the bread. We cannot do it. But Christ Presbyterian Church, let us not lose heart in our ministry to children. Let us not lose heart in our evangelizing. Let us not lose heart in proclaiming the kingdom of God. Because what this passage tells us is that it is working. God is at work. And it might begin small. But God 
will bring it to completion. Although the kingdom of God is a repeated phrase in this passage, and although the illustration focuses on the important beginnings, the unlikely growth, and the unrealized transformation of the kingdom, ultimately, Luke is not focusing us on just the kingdom of God. This passage is telling us about him who brings forth the kingdom of God. This passage, the the Sunday school answer works here. This passage is about Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no kingdom. This passage reminds us that we are not God. We cannot make it grow. We cannot add the leaven. But it reminds us that there will be times when we give life-giving work of the gospel and it will go unseen and unnoticed. Yet that is exactly how God grows his kingdom. He is faithful. He will call his sheep. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul tells some Christians, he actually is probably yelling at some Christians about their bickering about who they will follow, whether they're following Paul or Peter or Apollos. And Paul calls them out saying, you're missing the point. In verse 4, he says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And then he tells them why this type of bickering is unnecessary. Why sometimes we miss the view of the kingdom? Because we want to see immediate results. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who planted nor he who waters has anything, but only God who gives growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. We are eschatological workers, bringing forth the kingdom of God now. Our prayer is that every time Faith Weaver Friends meets, every time our youth group meets, our goal is to plant Every time we spend time reading our Bible with our children, when we meet as adults in our Bible studies, our goal is to prepare the dough. Our goal in prayer is that God will add the yeast and make the plant grow. What a great reminder for us. Jesus is at work. Jesus is making all things new. And this changes everything. Our families, our friends, our marriages. We cannot do this work under our own power. It is only by the power of the Spirit reigning inside of us. And he has called us to a holy calling. And he will hold us fast. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.